0: Hi, this is Carol Kaplan, host of My Life with David Cassidy. In today's episode, we'll be talking with Chip Defa, author, playwright, and producer. Chip was the ghostwriter of David Cassidy's autobiography, first published in 1994 under the name, Come on, Get Happy, Fear and Loathing in the Partridge Family Bus. As part of that process, he reviewed all of the interview tapes recorded by Elliot Mintz, who we talked to in Episode 1. Beyond that, he spent hours and hours talking to David about his life, even traveling with him to his boyhood home in East Orange, New Jersey. You'll hear about that in this interview, which took almost two hours, so we'll be breaking it up into two separate episodes. I think you'll find Chip to be extraordinarily insightful, especially on the latter half of David's life. My impression is that there's very little about David's life that Chip doesn't know. He vowed to David to keep many things private forever, and it's a vow he maintains to this day. Here's our conversation. How did you and David Cassidy get together? How did that happen?
1: there's more interesting things than that but but um david wanted me to write his autobiography he liked my writing i used to write for the new york post regularly and he used to read me there i'd write about music and about uh, theater and stuff like that and he asked me if i'd want to do an autobiography with him and i was kind of flattered because he said he had made two other attempts before in his life and he had given up early on and he thought we would work together and just see how it goes and I said, Oh, I can I can spend two years and make it the best book you ever had He says, No, 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 I want it as fast as possible. Not good. I want it really fast <laughs> So <laughs> he says, The sooner I can get on, on Oprah and be talking about it, I'll be happy. And he had this vision from the start that we'd do it as fast as possible and it would be a big hit. And I said, you know, I was, uh, to be honest, David, I'm not sure it's going to sell many copies. It'll be fun to do. But I thought his his period was uh, past, you know. And he said, no, 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 no. I have a really good feeling. And he was right. I was totally wrong because the book came out and it became a TV movie. It got him all kinds of attention. He was on all the talk shows and radio shows. And so uh, to that extent, uh he sort of called it, you know.
0: So you did the, you worked on him with him on the first book. Um, Come on, get happy, fear and loathing on the Partridge Family bus. Yes, and that
1: that uh, uh, the manuscript we just delivered was actually over twice as long as as what was published. We had, uh, and then the editor uh, Karen Kelly, she had to like somehow. Uh, cut the book in half so we had a lot of material that he was willing to share with the public just never made it So anything I tell you uh, If it's not in the book it's stuff. He wanted to say for the public There's other things he told me that are not to be You know discussed and that and I won't violate those confidences. So that's the sort of the, the parameters uh, so also-
0: So you're going to tell us everything that wasn't published, right?
1: No, no, not everything. But you know what I mean? But I'm not not going to tell tales that he wouldn't want told. You know what I'm saying? Uh,
0: Absolutely. uh,
1: Yes. Yes. Okay, so
0: that was 1994 when that book came out.
1: Yes. And then... uh, the The later book was uh, the later book was really just an expansion of the first one. So if you want, if you actually compared them side by side, you'd see it 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 adds some quotes from some other people and it updates it a little bit. But it's really uh, the first book re- repackaged. It's just sort of like a little like, expanded version. And then for this ebook, um, we decided to just. Uh, we took the original text and I wrote a new afterword for it and um so that's come out that's the first ebook I've ever looked at i never I, I'm not too uh I'm, I'm an old fashioned book kind of guy I have lots <laughs> of books in my home here and uh, uh, so the first ebook I ever saw in my life was to look and see how that came out
0: you know? yeah so so let me just for people who may not know um so the David's second book could it be forever? came out in 2007, and which you said was sort of an updating of the first one, and then... Right. Many,
1: many, many of the pages are word-for-word word identical. I mean, it, it, it basically takes most of the first book, and it would add some other comments from other people, and then add some things that happened in the years since. But it's basically... Uh, I mean, they're both... Uh, the, the, uh, some people are surprised because there's so much of it that's just word-for-word word identical. Right. Uh, from that
0: so so what was the reason that that you just released a new version in the in an ebook through amazon.com um that just came out in december of 2019 um that you said that you wrote some new comments in it
1: well there's here's what happened a lot of the the first book went out of print and when he died um the cost of, of people buying used books, people were paying $100, $200 expensive prices to find the other book. It was getting scarce because people wanted the other book. It was out of print. And um, we decided if we made it available as an e-book, then for a, a modest sum, whatever an ebook cost, costs, 10 bucks or something like that, people can read that book. And then I, I, uh, the idea of me writing it afterward was to have some final reflections on his life and, and to bring up you know, how he died and, and things like that to, to sort of uh, bring it up to date. And, and I had to, you know, uh, get an approval from his son, Bo, and make sure that it was okay to do this and that Bo was okay with what what we what I wrote in the afterword. And um, I know there were just so many fans. People, people were always asking, will the – Book be brought back into print, and, and how can I get a copy? And uh, this was a way to try to meet some of that demand, and also even in the a little afterward, try to I don't know tell a little bit more about him, or a little more reflections on 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 on, on his life, and, and and sum up
0: sort of how things changed in his in his final years. So why do you think? I mean, you know, here is a guy who really had the peak of his stardom. Um I'm gonna say in the early 70s, although you know he did have right. some successes after that in Las Vegas and in on Broadway and so forth. But why do you think it is that fifty years later people are still so fascinated? Um,
1: I, I think he had something. I think he had a, a charisma. Um, there were a lot of people who, when that first phenomenon happened in the 70s, that he was their first crush, um, and there was this great mass interest in him, and some of those people uh, remain fans for his life or whatever. We don't always have someone that captures the whole imagination of, of people uh, like that. It's not something that always happens. There isn't somebody right now that has the same hold on the imagination of young girls that David had then. back then if you went to one of his concerts and he might have 60,000 people in a stadium sometimes you couldn't hear him singing and he was a wonderful singer because the girls in the audience were screaming so loudly he used to say it didn't matter if he actually sang or even if he actually picked up a guitar because they were screaming so much they really weren't hearing it and and it's funny because um, I mean, he actually had a beautiful voice, uh, but you can actually appreciate it more if you look at some of the videos on YouTube than had you been at some of those concerts at the peak because, and it was fans pushing to, 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 to surge towards him and, and uh, hysteria, and 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 it was a phenomenon. It was um, uh, there isn't anybody right now that could go out and 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 sell out Madison Square Garden for, for, for young girls the way he could and have them so, I mean, they were, the girls were screaming, I want you, you're beautiful, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it was almost, it, 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 the, the, the sheer mass adulation over almost overshadowed the fact that there was somebody with a genuine talent there. And... The the strange thing about it, and people find this hard to believe, but he told me this many, many times. Um, He said when all that was happening, even though... Uh, every everybody was idolizing him and stuff like that. It was so much for him, so stressful for him, so overwhelming. He didn't really enjoy that experience. He couldn't wait to get out of the Partridge family for the show to be over. He was begging his agent to get me out of the contract because for him it was constant uh, a work of you'd be... Doing a TV show, making recordings, and the recordings were hits, and making concerts, talking to the press. There always had to be interviews in all the magazines and stuff like that. And it, as he said, in all those first years, like from 70 to 75, when he's doing a TV show, when he's doing concerts and stuff and everything nonstop, he said he didn't make one new friend, really, in that time period. Uh, uh, and he didn't really have a time to have a social life or to have... I mean, there were groupies that would throw themselves at him, but but to have a, a meaningful relationship, it was impossible. And he tried to tell himself, at least I'm making money. I mean, his agent told him, his manager told him, uh, even if you're not enjoying it now you're going to be set for life financially. And and, 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 and he'd say, I, I, I want this to stop. And they say, just, you know, one more year you can stop. You'll have money for the rest of your life. And when he... So those years weren't happy for him. And then he thought at least he'd have money, and then the money vanished. There were bad investments or all kinds of problems. And he went from a guy that had... Uh, uh, millions to, to a guy who was $800,000 in debt. And then he had to work really hard to get himself out of that financial hole and try to get back on it. And those years weren't happy for me either, when he felt like, am I ever going to get out of debt? Am I ever going to pay off these bills? Am I ever going to be financially... Solve it, and he was touring and doing concerts, and the, the the musicians working with him were making money. They were getting paid for each concert, and he was sort of applying the money to pass bills. So a lot of his life, people envied him, but it wasn't as happy as people want to imagine. People find that hard to believe because he was a good actor, and he would get on stage and look smiling and and, and make people happy, even when he was doing. When he was doing Blood Brothers on Broadway, he was in physical pain from from an injury, and then there was another injury in Los Angeles and Las Vegas. And he would mask the injury and get through a performance. But a lot of a lot of his life, I mean, he, he, he would tell me privately was not happy. But he was a good entertainer, a great entertainer, and uh, people never saw that side. And part of what he wanted to write in the book was to let people know that uh, you know fame and celebrity isn't all, all fun and games and he didn't want his his son to go into show business as a kid he wanted his son just to 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 enjoy summer camp and enjoy the, the little league baseball game and enjoy just being around his friends and uh, he was. He felt he was doing his son a favor by shielding him from a lot of that world, which really showed that he was sincere when he said it wasn't all joyous for him. When we were working on the book, he would often say he was happier before he was famous, and I know people find that hard to believe, but it's, it made sense to me. You know, I I, 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 I saw it, and I saw the guy who would be sometimes in pain in his dressing room and and physical pain from an injury and and then go out and give an amazing performance on Broadway and then greet everybody at the stage door and and, and banter with them and smile and turn the autographs. And then when it's all over, you know, he's got to rest his voice, he's got to do physical therapy, he's got to try to get through it again. But he he did like... uh, uh, Broadway and national tour. He he did Blood Brothers for a couple of years, and then Las Vegas for years. Uh, but it's just it, it was it, that fascinated me the difference between what a public sees and what people might experience privately.
0: So, you know, he had the a choice in this. I mean, after the Partridge Family was off the air, if he if he hated the all you know all the craziness of celebrity he did go back and yeah, and he yes, worked I mean, hard at it so so what it, what was it that made him go back why didn't he just you know take a job as a a plumber or something
1: well people are complicated and, and, and people are are, are are sometimes sometimes it's hard to explain what the choices people make um He was, and when he was in Las Vegas, there were a couple years when he was in Las Vegas, uh, when he didn't get home, you know, every night he wouldn't get home until 1 or 2 in the morning. And then he realized, here again, you have all these fans idolizing you, and you have really, you get to see very little of your family because of the work hours he did. So he'd be coming home after his son was you know, uh, in bed and wouldn't wake up. And by the time he woke up, his son would have been off to grade school. And then after a couple of years of that, he started to realize I'm really isolated. I'm very alone. And, and, uh, uh, so he had these struggles trying to figure out, trying to find a balance in his life. That was difficult and trying to find, I mean, it's something he was good at. The entertaining was good. At. He was, he was great at it, but he was always conflicted about, um, Uh, And then the irony was you've got fans who always want to hear those songs that uh, you did on the Partridge family. And actually his taste in music were a lot broader than that. And you had to sing them because that's what the fans want. And and I I, I get that, but he felt like, like he used to tell me, he says he feels like a guy who who had such a spectacular football game when he was a, a senior in college that the rest of his life people are always asking him to relive that moment and tell him about what it was like having that game and he sort of felt like that that like he was sort of trapped in this loop of, of, of you know he's going to be singing those songs and and some of them he didn't really like <laughs> some, of, some of those songs but you have to do it because you're to a generation those are those are. Uh, huge hits from their childhood, and they make them happy, and and and, and he, he made his peace with that. But it's an interesting thing. Um, I mean, it, he surprised people all the time because he did love these old songs, too. There's a, a TV performance where he sings As Time Goes By, which was, you know, from long before he was born but it's a I mean he thinks that with as much conviction and care and beauty as as anything he's ever done and part of him loved that old stuff he would tell me I love the Gershwin songs I love this so it, and so when he so his very final project before he died was trying to record this album of uh, you know, songs dedicated to his father that the songs associated with his father or songs his father and son where he taught him. but he had always had a love for those older songs so it's, it's you know, that's where I say he's complicated and a little bit um, um, you know uh, uh, it was hard for him sometimes to find that, the happiness and then you know try, try to figure it out but I used to find it interesting that there was so many fans would be waiting for him at the stage door after a Broadway performance or after a concert or something like that, and they'd all be looking up to him, and, and, and he would say to me, you know, maybe in the car afterwards or something like that, he says, like, they probably have a happier life than I do right now, but, but he says they'd never believe that. they have never in a minute believe that. You know, they're all wanting his autograph, like, we put people up on these pedestals, like, you know what I mean? Like, we want to imagine this. And when he was doing the Las Vegas shows... Uh, I mean, his—he was in such pain. He had injured his foot. He was getting shots all the time to like control the pain, and and and, 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 and finally, at the end of the run, um, he he just—he couldn't go on anymore. He got his brother to fill in, one of his brothers to fill in for him for the last week. And by that point, for him to even miss a performance, he was. He didn't want to miss it. He didn't want to get a reputation being unreliable. But, I mean, uh, uh, the brother was filling in. He had to get surgery on, on, on his foot. And he probably had needed it for a year. But he, you know, uh, so so it was, you know, a complicated complicated kind of life. When I would, we'd do interviews, I would tape record the interviews. And I had a fellow... Um, uh, he would transcribe the tapes for me that's a time consuming thing, but it would like like he would he would like take down word for word everything David said, and we'd have these pages and pages of transcriptions and and that fellow started to feel like compassion for david he said he he'd read this these stories day after day and he'd say like Here, I'm nobody, but he says, I'm having a happier life than this guy is, or I'm I'm finding more to enjoy in life than David is. And I said, well, then you learned something because uh, just being famous doesn't necessarily give you um, happiness. And at the end, uh, when the drinking got to be too much and stuff, um, I mean, that was very sad. The the whole death, it took a lot out of me. It It just... because I saw little hints of this coming for so long, and you 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 don't know how how to um i mean he tried rehab it didn't hold he he'd seen his father go through it his father had drinking problem his grandfather had drinking problems and and yet um, he could not uh,
0: he could well t- tell me about that when when did you first see signs Pardon? when did you first see signs that there was a problem with alcohol. Okay, David...
1: David was trying very hard not to drink at all during Blood Brothers, and he was so conscientious and not missing a performance. And he told me um, that he felt that when he was younger and had pardoned too much the drinking and the, the drugs, he felt it had damaged him so much he said it had, like... Change his brain chemistry to make him, uh, you know, not 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 be able to experience happiness as much. It it permanently changed him, and he said drinking didn't give him any pleasure, and yet he wanted an occasional drink, even though at this point he was supposed to have no drinks at all. He he, he would say to me, "I can't drink, but I'll just have a, a, an occasional drink. It's not going to hurt me." And that's like a classic, a classic. Uh, a danger sign and someone's got a drinking problem when they've been told you can't drink at all and they
0: start saying, well, a little drinking's not going to hurt me. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah.
1: It's not, and you want to say like, and then he would talk to me about his, he's saying that my dad had such a problem with drinking and he did everything to excess, he drank too much, he smoked too much, he said, and he never saw it himself, it was so obvious to everyone else, and sometimes I'd say, to him, well, David, do you think you could be like, you might be like your dad, and he'd say, no, 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 what are you talking about, what are you talking about, I said, sometimes people don't see their problems, and sometimes people don't see. He says, but no, everyone told my dad he should stop drinking, and he couldn't stop it, and he was in denial about him having a problem. And then he'd say, look, Chip, if I want to have an occasional glass of white wine, white wine can't be that harmful, can it? And you sort of see that as the first step, like, um, like but if you've just been told, and you know yourself you can't drink at all, that once you start, you know what I mean? Okay. Opening that door. Yeah,
0: absolutely. When you want-
1: when he was doing, he was perfectly cast. He starred in this show, uh, Little Johnny Jones, a George M. Cohen musical. And they did, they sent him out on a year-long tour. It was touring the country, and it was going to come into Broadway. And he was perfect for that role. And uh, they started out on the tour, and the audiences were, were Thrilled with them and stuff like that, and then he was having problems in that, like drinking too much and, and, and so on. And, and the producers started to think he's he's not reliable. Some performances he's good, and some performances it's interfering with his work. He's he looks he looks like he's under the influence. And right before it was supposed to open on Broadway, they were in a crisis because they said we got you know millions of dollars riding on him, and, and we don't we don't, we can't rely on him. And just before it was going to open on Broadway, and he had been paid well for a year tour. Um, they fired him and, and, and they, just before it opened on Broadway, they said, you're not in shape to open on Broadway. We'll bring in Donnie Osmond. The show closed very quickly. Donny Osmond didn't have t- a chance to rehearse properly. It wasn't a role for Donny Osmond. It, it was a role for David. And it killed me that it should have been a triumph for him. It should have been uh, there are little clips of him singing songs from it on, on TV, and, it's, it, and it gives me chills because he was good for it and he was right for it. And he had the and, and 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 I mean, he would tell me. He said, I, "I blew that myself. I was, you know, the drinking was a problem at that point, And so, so here he is doing Blood Brothers, and he was really doing a great performance, and being conscientious. And they was saying, "I know I can't drink anymore." And they'd say, "But." You know, an, an occasional glass isn't going to hurt me, and I'm like, that's where it starts. It's, the difference is, you either you either manage each day not to drink at all. You know what I mean? But that's where it starts. That little bit of like, I'm, I'm only going to do it a little bit, or if I have a, uh, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I, I, uh, uh, I, 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 I just it's it's scared. Me. And then when they 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 it, late in his life when he had the the. Driving under the influence uh, arrests, and he got uh, ordered by a judge to go to rehab. And they 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 send him to like some fancy rehab place, and he does music therapy and rehab. But it's like um, you would see an occasional interview on TV, uh, and you could just see, um, you know, the problem's too big for him. You know what I mean? You, I, it was painful for me to watch it. And, and, and you just see it in his eyes or something like that. I, I I know when, when I, I don't know what you could have done. I don't know what anyone could have done, but when he told me his father had a problem with the drinking, his grandfather had a problem with the drinking, he wasn't just talking about them. He was aware that, do you know what I mean? If you're bringing that up, like drinking's a problem in my family, what you're really saying is, on some level, you're aware that I'm part of that. You know right. What I mean? that, uh, but, but but didn't mean he could stop And I don't want to dwell on that because uh, I mean, there's a part of me that just wants to remember, you know, um, uh, uh, how great great he could be. But but I, I, I was sorry to see that that um, that happening. I mean, at the end when he said uh, um, he had just drunk to to cover up the emptiness. I mean, that's a sad.
0: You know, yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. As, as I recall, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something like that he, he drank to cover up the pain or to yeah, yeah, cover yeah, up yeah, the I, emptiness. I, and, and so I'm trying to figure out what was the pain. And the irony was
1: of, of, of him telling me it didn't give him any pleasure. And I'm like, if it doesn't give you any pleasure, why do you, why do, you do it? Do you know what I mean? Why, why, what? Uh, people are, are complicated David felt there were two things he felt he was damaged even as a child by his father's neglect and he felt he never could he never could overcome that it was he was so sensitive it hurt him in some way that it didn't hurt his brothers his brothers somehow he said could accept that that's the way their father was that he was always going to be away he was not going to be reliable if he said I'm going to come to uh uh, you know, your birthday party, they knew the odds were the father wasn't. He'd be often forgetful and, and, and be with his friends or whatever. David felt the hurt every time. I mean, David, at, in the end, I mean, I love the fact. This is where people grow and mature. I love the fact that at the very end of his life, uh, David made a, a point um, to, to be there for his son, to be not only at his son's Little League games, but to be his son's Little League coach. That was directly a conscious effort to be the opposite of his dad, because he remembered how much it hurt when his dad wasn't at the Little League Games. So to say, I'm not going to not gonna be his coach. At the games, I'll be his coach. When he was little, David told me um, uh, I mean this, this monumental conversation he had with his dad, because kids asked him, uh, kids were taunting him, saying, "Your dad and your mom are divorced," and he was saying, "No, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not." And when he finally asked his dad, and he's a kid, and the dad says, "Well, yes, we got divorced a couple years ago," and it's like everybody knew it except him. I mean, I, 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 you know, and his dad—it it just it just left him feel like um, I, 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 I could feel his pain as he talked about those things. I could feel. Uh, he, he talked about his dad more than anything else we ever talked about that really hurt him and then he said when he when he finished with the Partridge family and the concerts and he took some time to himself he went way overboard he was in his own house and, and and he would then it was too much between drinking and drugs and he know he knew he damaged himself a lot with that so he knew he had to try to... Um, um, his life back together, but, but he felt he had done some permanent damage to himself by the excess of that period. So he had a lot of struggles to overcome. I mean, it was... Uh, I had a lot of compassion for him. And then he'd go out and go and give these... He could give these amazing concerts, and he could make uh, terrific recordings. and and But he was very sensitive. I mean, there were, there were people who, like... It would it would kill him that there were people who uh, were big names in Hollywood that would stop returning his phone calls or they wouldn't talk to him because he was no longer the top guy. And when he was on top, they were his friends. And you know, and, and you know, like he said, like running into Don Johnson, who, who was a great friend of his before they were famous when they were just struggling actors, and then after. David was off the air, and and Don was still a big star on Miami Vice, and Don, like, sort of blew him off at a party and, like, didn't want to talk to him. I mean, uh, things like that just, just, just... uh,
0: I mean, I I think this is one thing that fans really struggle with, is that David brought so much happiness to so many people, yet it eluded him, and it just seems so unfair.
1: Yes, and it's, it's, and it's hard to understand because um, it, uh, it's just some people that by nature, they're like, they feel every little pain a little more. His brothers, he would say uh, things would roll off their back that would drive him crazy. It's just somehow it's the way you were born or who you are. I mean, he, he, he didn't have an answer for it. He went through years of therapy, and he just said uh, because – uh, his, his Sean went through many of the same things he did, and Sean was like unfazed by it. And David, David could feel every little slight or something like that. I mean, if uh, if I, um, I had to be careful because if I tried to say something to him that that made him uh, seem similar to his dad, he could be very hurt very easily. And 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 so you had to you, you walk on eggshells a little bit because you. you you want to be helpful, but at the same time, you know how easily he he would feel, um, hurt. And, and, and and if you said, maybe you shouldn't be drinking at all, that, you don't, you don't want someone to feel you're attacking them. So maybe you say nothing. You know what I mean? But it's, he had, it was hard for him. And yet, he would go out on stage every night. He did, he did Blood Brothers, I think 800 performances. And, um, he wanted to prove to the world he was reliable at that point, that he was not going to have, a, never going to miss, so that even if he was really sick and should have missed, he wasn't going to take off. He was just, and the same thing with Las Vegas, he wanted to prove he was so reliable that he was performing when he should have been resting more or spending more time with him. Do, people, you, you, know, with
0: do yeah. you do you think he was trying to prove something? He, in, in what was he trying to prove?
1: Um, well, he had felt he had, he had felt because he had had there was a time after the Partridge family uh, when his problems of being reliable were, were like known in the industry that he was unreliable, and he wanted to prove to people now I'm a mature, responsible, sober adult. I do my job. You can count on me. If I'm in a Broadway show, I, I, I'm not gonna. Uh, mess up because he was afraid if he missed performances people might say oh has he got a problem is he drinking is he drugging why is he missing up so even if he felt in pain he felt he he couldn't take off when the average person might because he wanted to prove that uh, do you know what i mean that i'm not that guy that you know that if, if you had heard that i missed performances or screwed up sometimes on the little johnny jones tour because i was having problems with drinking or whatever he, he, he said he had to prove that he was this, but I mean it was hard for him to find that balance to find that, that it, 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 in certain ways. I mean the thing he was one thing he got right though um, the, the, the fact that, that he raised his son who loves him and loved him and, and the son and he was there for that son. I mean that was an accomplishment in his life. That meant as much to him, or more to him, than than um, you know, so than being on the cover of the magazine or something like that. So I, I give him credit for that. People can grow and they can change. And and, and, and I mean, he didn't want to live. He hated Hollywood. That's why he, he chose to live. Any place but hollywood um, he, he didn't want to go back there he had so many bad memories of those partridge family years i mean in the end living in florida for a big celebrity uh... in the fort lauderdale area that's fairly out of the way it's not it's not hollywood or new york but he or las vegas but he didn't want to live in those places. And, and so he lived there, and for uh, a good long while, he lived in uh, Connecticut for a while. I mean, these are sort of out-of-the-way places, for, but he was trying to find a place where he could find a little uh, peace and quiet and, and spend time with his you know, his wife and his son.
0: You know, you, uh, you mentioned um, how important uh, his relationship with Beau was, but you also mentioned that he never... Wanted children in the beginning.
1: Well, <laughs> he didn't. He, he, listen, that, that's just human. He was, he was, let's say, more self-absorbed. So he didn't expect. I mean, he was having trouble paying his own bills, and 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 he was worried that if he made a buck, he'd spend it and be bankrupt again. So he didn't think of himself as father material, and yet, and and he didn't expect. But when he got a son, he became like. Uh, that eventually became, like, um, important to him, really important to him to, to be a good father and to be, um, you know, so that's, you have so, to have credit for that,
0: you know? All right, so so if if that's the case, then, and, and I'm going to ask some some tough questions that might make some people a little uncomfortable, but I have all to right, ask... them I'll see if
1: I can answer them. I may not, but go uh,
0: on. Okay, so he wants to be father of the year for Bo yet Katie's mother had to fight him for child support. So what happened there?
1: Again, I think there was some growth or maturation or whatever it is. So at first um, you're right. At first she, the mother had, there was a, uh, an estrangement and yet he wanted to incorporate her eventually into his world into his life and into his family and today she's part of that you know she's connected to the Cassidys and not just to her mom I mean you know when so that uh, but but that that's part of how people evolve or mature or grow and yeah when 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 somebody comes at first and tells him um uh, you're the father of a, of a girl and and the only I mean he didn't he didn't know about it except that there was a paternity test and so he didn't feel like um, I mean that, it's like it's like it's like how can that it, 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 it was hard for him to understand it at first to say like because it's not like if you're involved with somebody and and, and you're close to somebody and, and you have a child together, that's that's a different thing than have somebody tell you, yeah, I took a paternity test and you're the father, and then he then he's sort of like, I don't know who this baby is, and then it took him a while to accept that or to learn or grow or something, and say like, yeah, I, I, I want to have a good relationship there too, and so uh, that's again part of the mat- maturation or the growth. I think I mean David used to say very honestly that he he missed some of that time most people have to mature emotionally because when all that fame came around he was working constantly there was no time so that so as, as, as he put it you know other people have. Uh, finding themselves in their in their, in their early twenties and they're in college and they're going through relationships and stuff like that. He was working on stuff. He he felt he was uh, emotionally he developed a little bit later than some would have because uh, of the career path he took. But eventually, you see that kind of um, growth that he wanted to be proud of his daughter. and He was and, and, as well as his son. And and. Uh, She's become a very successful actress and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I mean, none
0: of us are perfect. I, 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 don't, wanna, I don't know well, how to explain that, it. That's for sure. I mean, none of us are perfect, and neither was David. And um, I think most of his fans accept that. Um, you know, we know that David struggled with alcohol, um, but I'd also say, based on what I've read, he struggled with women, too. Can, can you talk about that? What was David's I relationship? I have nothing him? to add on that other than
1: what he chose, which is very little to put in the book. I mean, whatever he put in the book. But um, it's interesting, because I'll get asked that. Fans will say, can you tell me something about his first marriage or his second marriage? And he, by choice said almost nothing in the books almost nothing you know he said uh, you know he, 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 he said as little as possible and I, I, I there I respect that kind of privacy I think anybody in show business anybody in showbiz is. who's popular gets people throwing themselves at them and and, and as he used to say when he was um, out there on the road and, and, and there are I mean, there are women that constantly are are making themselves available to him. Um, you know, he, he, he uh, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I, I mean, a lot of guys in that same situation—they weren't. Most people don't get in that situation. You know, he, he, he said uh, it, it, it. it wasn't like it was. Um, uh, you know. He didn't have to go far to look. I mean, if he would show up at the gates of his home. They would literally come up to the to the to the metal fence, you know. Uh, uh, so he, so he didn't even have to leave his compound. There were people coming to him. But those were like just uh, almost meaningless encounters. You know what I mean? Was, I those I, those I
0: can't up. imagine like, what that does to someone's psyche to know that you can basically just. Command someone to perform for you, and they do it.
1: There were there were there were roadies who would bring him bring bring women to him. You know what I mean? He would say he would say he'd finish a concert, and there were roadies and say and and, and, and he said there were concerts. He would finish the concert. And he'd want to just go to sleep, and, and, and roadies would bring him like seven girls that all wanted to be with him. You know. Um, it, 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 uh, uh, what can I I, I? I don't know. He said before somebody judges him, it's, a, it's an odd life to have. But they haven't been in that situation, you know. What would they? What would another guy do? Or, you know, who knows? Um, yeah, that was a, a, a. I mean, it was all uncharted territory. It wasn't what he expected. Um, I mean. It, it, he said it wasn't like I set out as a kid saying I'm going to grow up to be a teen idol.
0: Right, <laughs> um, right.
1: It, it, he, he used to find it ironic because he said when he was, um, like, he wasn't like uh, like the in crowd in, 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 in grade school or junior high or high school, or, you know, or, or the the popular kid. He was the kid who was struggling and, and you know, uh, needed to go to summer school and stuff like that. I mean, I, I, it, the whole thing, when he became overnight this, this uh, you know, Tia Idol, it's, it's it's really a fascinating story. I mean, it's just, it's just, um, uh, 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 I, I can't explain it. But that, that's all these things, I mean, there was endless things to talk about with David because the life was so unusual and so complicated.
0: Did did he understand um, how different his life was from other people?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He often said. He, he often said. Um, he almost wished. I mean, he would say like he would try to look back and say like, where would, it, where would my life be if 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 he hadn't gotten the partridge family? I mean, he, you know, he doesn't know." you know if he, if he had struggled to, to perfect his skills as an actor or as a singer or whatever it was and and, and had uh, a little by little kind of success uh, he said maybe he would have had a happier life he used to he used to wonder about it. he used to he used to try to figure this out like why why there were um, you know, like people living ordinary lives and happy that they had a good cup of coffee that day and and uh, and, and lunch was good at, at work, you know what I mean? And, and, and taking pleasure in simple things of life and, and, and they're happy to see. And, and, and he was struggling with life. I mean, a lot of the times he was just... Uh, uh, and yet, he, he could see very clearly, like Danny Bonaduce, who was like a little brother to him, a little brother who was always screwing up, he could see all the problems Danny would have in his life, and he would always be wanting to help Danny out, straighten Danny out, and give Danny good counsel, and he could give him good advice, but he couldn't, like many of us, see it in himself, you know what I mean, or or, or uh, and he found that kind of ironic, too, that that he was like, to, to Danny, he was the guy always bringing him the medicine, you know, the, the, the like how to how to live properly, and and, uh, you know. <laughs>
0: Do you think um, that he felt any guilt in his life for maybe, um, you know, the the relationships that he had with women or the encounters, if you want to call them that? Um,
1: no, wh- because it was all part of... He was like... Uh, I don't know, it was all part of... Uh, it, 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 it's like saying... Um, you know, you're trying to ride a surfboard on a tidal wave. You can't really change the direction. And it's sort of like all happened very quickly, and suddenly he is this guy that his life is now doing concerts and 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 and, and the willies are bringing girls to you or going retreating to your house. And literally, girls are pressing themselves up against the fence, saying, uh, saying you know, they want to... Um, have an encounter with him without him even stepping outside. They'll be on one side of the fence, they'll be on the other. They didn't care. They were just there. Um,
0: so he, did, he it, didn't feel that he was using anybody.
1: Well, he didn't feel like he was using them any more than they were using him. But he also said, and this is, he said it didn't really give him any satisfaction or any joy. It was like he said it was almost like what's expected of you because you're a star at this point but um but he felt like um the the, the girl who's coming up the, to his home and saying to him she wants to have, have sex and and and, 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 and he doesn't care if he doesn't unlock the gate, she'll, she'll do it through the through the fence. He's certainly not forcing anything on her. Right. And he felt like, and yet he said, he said, um, the whole, if he looks at the whole era and that the whole thing's part of it, the, the partying, the, the, that, he said none, none of it was making him happy. None of them was making him, that, that's what he said. He said that it was like, uh, it was all like this. It was all part of one like, like blur, like 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 this is what your life had become. And, and he says he wasn't particularly, he wasn't enjoying it, but he didn't. Uh, 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 he didn't feel at the time like like what were the options? He felt he was caught up in something. I mean that sounds it sounds crazy, but. Uh, you know, unless you've been through it, uh, you know, I, 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 in a certain sense. I, I, now, I'll give you another example. I'll give you another example. I, I, I'm not going to mention, but I, I, I know a guy He's a million years old. He's a well-known Hollywood star. He's not a good-looking guy, but he says just because he's famous, all his life women have thrown himself at him because he's famous. He says I, he knows he's not good-looking. He doesn't consider himself sexy. He doesn't consider himself a good lover. Says, but he but he was telling me, honestly, uh, uh, you know, up in his 90s, telling me, but there's always been women throwing themselves at me. Maybe they think I could get them a part in a movie or in a TV show or that being with somebody famous is somehow going to make their life fulfilling. And, uh, uh, and, that, and he says that he was not, he was never trying to be sexy. He wasn't handsome. It was even just part of his being his famous. And David was extraordinarily good looking. He was, was talented, charismatic. He would have the moves. In those concerts, my God, all the moves were, and they were just no choreographer, nobody telling how to do it. It was all natural, but it was very sexy performance style. When they, I laughed because when they made the TV movie based on our book, they turned the book, come on, get happy, into a book, into a movie, the David Cassidy story, and he had picked the guy to play him, and I laughed. Because he sounded like this guy who had none of David's sexiness, couldn't move. He was supposed to listening to David's recording, and he stand there stiff. And David, David would have been, um, without being aware of it, he would have been just uh, uh, his moves were very sexy. So of course, so just from being famous, you're going to get groupies and stuff. But the fact that you're very sexy in the performance, that's you know it was anyway that's, that's I
0: mean did, did was was the sexiness something that just came with the territory or did he know because when i when i look at those early episodes i i look at the like his eyes for example the way that he would close his eyes when he was singing or um, the the way that he would look at susan day or something right. and and or the way that he moved um and even like sometimes the 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 soft quality of his voice seemed very romantic right. w- was this studied or was this just him
1: uh, that was him and it was, and when he, in the show, I mean, you've got directors reining him in. So in the show, I mean, he's got to be. Uh... Uh, uh, sort of, let's say, let's say, more wholesome or more restrained in his movements. But you put him out in a concert. He was going doing those first concerts, and he'd be out there, you know, waving his butt at these girls and stuff like that. And they were reacting as much to the to the uh, sexual movements as to the singing. And um, I laughed because. Uh, uh, who was it? He had an image in those days of being just wholesome, and I can't remember now if it was a Kellogg's Corn Flakes or if it was. It was one of them, like most wholesome companies, wanted to do a TV special with him just because they thought he was the epitome of, of like their product was wholesome and family values and a, 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 and like a cereal for the masses, and, and they thought that's what his image was. And he laughed because that's not who he was. And then when he did the interview in Rolling Stone and they t- photographed him nude or semi-nude, um, the the the, con- the, um, the TV special got canceled. But uh, but I was like, you know, I, uh, uh, he was letting a little too much of his real self come out in the interview, and that and, and they were stunned, you know, that 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 he was a guy with, uh, you know, he wasn't a little kid.
0: Anyway, <laughs> talk to me a little bit about. Um, things that he said about his parents. Like, um, we've heard an awful lot about Jack, but I never heard a whole lot about Evelyn. What what was his relationship like with her?
1: Well, I mean, growing up, he he, he was raised by her. His father was never, Jack was never around, though Jack was important to him. By God, he had such a strong memory of, of as a three-year-old, seeing... His first Broadway show. Seeing his dad and wish you were here. His dad walks on stage singing, "Wish you were here, wish you were here, wish you were here," and he starts standing up in his seat in the audience, saying, "That's my daddy. That's my dad." And and his mom was um, his mom was a promising actress um, who might have had a career, but she had to sort of focus on being the mom raising David. But she was getting good opportunities. I forget. One of the shows, um, she like understudied. She was a standby for Gwen Burden, who was the hottest Broadway star of the day. And and the mother had that kind of potential. And then she she sort of had to give it up all to be, somebody had to raise, raise David. And she was just the, the responsible mother. I remember her telling me, um, she said... Uh, uh, this is the gist of it. It's not not a word-for-word word quote, but she would say to me things like, um, David puts himself down too much when he talks to you. He makes himself sound worse than he is, Chip. I don't know why he does this. He wants you to see him at his worst. And it was an interesting and insightful comment from the mom that there was something about David that, rather than trying to build himself up and make him seem better than he was, he, she thought if, if she heard him talking to me that he was... Making himself sound worse than he was. It was interesting. Um, But David, once he became famous, that was the other price of the fame or whatever. Um, He didn't see much of his parents. Not as much of, by then he was like in this little cocoon. Like, uh, as, as Sean put it, Sean said, oh, there was a little bit of graceland going on, meaning that like Elvis sort of had his home to hide in and, and David had that too. And then David's mother and his brothers, his father, nobody could see him at that point. He was like shielded. Uh, it, it was this world where, you know, the groupies would have an easier time getting to see him than his, his family. And, and 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 if they tried to tell him, maybe you shouldn't be partying so much, maybe this he, was, he wasn't ready to hear. It. And, it, it's, and the whole world he had entered sort of, supported that supported the idea that you know you're, you're the superstar you can do whatever you want and then it all vanished and he was not prepared for that at all He, he when when it happened that he couldn't get a job and nobody wanted to return the phone calls and he, he couldn't get a record contract anymore um, I mean there was a period when it was absolutely the pits I mean that's uh, 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 I think all these things are hard to go through. You know, nobody gives you a manual that says this is what it's going to be like. And they should have because it's almost—it's happened many times in Hollywood. But it, 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 it um, you know, I, I had a, a lot of compassion for him because all those scars were hard to overcome. Left him with, I mean, uh, on a lot of levels, he was very pessimistic and... and uh, Felt things were like even if things were going well, like well, it's probably not going to last, and it's probably going to screw up. And if you start believing that, you almost subconsciously make it happen.
0: Well, d- didn't his his father um, sort of uh, he he was derogatory towards David's successes and
1: yeah, and there, there, and there was uh, there was David David perceived it as david felt his father was jealous of him and there may be some truth in that but it's also the father was trying to tell him something that was um he he wanted to tell david something uh, valuable too like the father would say like um like if you work for your success and you 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 do a small role and a bigger role, and then a slightly bigger role, a slightly bigger role, and over the years you gradually get bigger and bigger and better and better. The father could respect that kind of success more than the fact that suddenly, when the son overnight was much more famous than the father and and, and made more money than the father, maybe the father was jealous, but he also wanted to tell David, this doesn't mean, uh, you know, you know everything, or that, you know, that you are everything, you know. So I could see it from both sides of the view. I could see the father's point. I could see the son's point.
0: Um, so, so David had this period where he was estranged from his father. He didn't speak right. to him. Do you know what, what was the straw that broke the camel's back there?
1: Oh, there was so much going on. Um, I mean, the father was, the father was, uh father was going through a nervous breakdown on top of everything else besides the problem with the drinking and stuff like that, um, the father literally had to go and be institutionalized for a while because he was getting delusional, you know, I mean, I mean he had mental issues, uh, but there were other things that happened, I mean, David said, again, uh, he was public about this, um, I mean, there was one time and he and it, he found out that he and his father were sleeping with the same showgirl. i mean not many people have that kind of experience these are these are um uh, uh, you know it, it was it was a different relationship than a lot of people have with a father and, and he felt sometimes that his father was competitive with him it was it was hard in, in, a, in a lot of ways I, on the other hand he would say to me with tremendous admiration that he he really felt he'd never seen a greater performer than his father, that he really felt his father in in, in his Broadway show, She Loves Loves Me, was the greatest performance he had ever seen in his life, of any artist in any medium. And and David was offered a chance to do a revival, start a Broadway revival of that show that his father had started, or co-started, and he turned it down, and I think part of it was he just felt like nobody could equal what his father did. So so he would have, sometimes he would speak to me very admiringly of his father, and other times he would say, boy, he was really treated me so badly, and he was this, he was that, he was, you know, and he couldn't forgive the, 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 the problems his father had caused him. But the father, um, when the father was losing it, like the father was booked the father and, and Shirley Jones, Shirley Jones was David's stepmother, had played his mother on the Partridge family, but the father and Shirley Jones had, had uh, put together a show together to do in Las Vegas that it was supposed to do both of them. And, and there were nights when, when, when Jack was just too out of it to do the show, and eventually Jack uh, had to go off and, and deal with his mental issues and Shirley had to continue the show on her own they booked booked it to be Shirley jones and jack Cassidy, but jack didn't finish the run he was having his breakdown and he was um um uh, you know things that david couldn't understand david came home one time and, and it was like in the middle of the weather was hot outside he comes home uh, to visit his father and the father's got a roaring fireplace fire in the fireplace the father's sitting there naked and he's saying jc jack cassidy jesus christ don't you see the connection and, and david said he, he was just out
0: of it he was just you know uh, so so not, was was jack jack was a diagnosed manic depressive yes yes with, with some psychosis
1: yes yes i mean that was really extreme at that point david knew it was beyond what David could help with. And yet, when his father died and they had not spoken for months, um, you know, David Hard and, and, and he wanted something of his father's, and he had to go go to an auction where they're auctioning off his father's possessions and buy something his father's just to have a mentor of his father. I mean, the whole thing was sad on so many levels.
0: Sad on so many levels. So where did David find true happiness? His work, his wives, his children, his horses? We'll continue my wide-ranging interview with Chip Defa on the next episode of My Life with David Cassidy.